This is the third week of a series we've been in called Water Portraits. And if you're new to this series, I'm, I'm thinking it will still make sense and you'll be able to jump in and pick up right where we are. But the whole purpose of this series, as we've said from the beginning, was to take baptism, to put it back in the box, and then reopen that box and hopefully look at this and see baptism with fresh eyes. Um, the philosopher Dallas Willard said, familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. It, it's that you become so used to something and so accustomed to it, and talk about it in the same ways, and it just becomes natural, and you never really um, look at the bigger story, and you never look at the bigger picture. And so through this series, one of the things that we're trying to do is look at the the New Testament stories and the connections they have to some Old Testament storylines that run throughout the threads of these pages in the Bible. And this idea that surfaces, that comes out throughout beginning, in the very beginning we looked at last week with the story of Noah, but through the water into new life is such a powerful, powerful testimony to what God is doing in the world. Through the water into new life. And what we've said in this process, we've always kind of looked at baptism as like this is where we want to get people to. This is the point. This is the main thing. But baptism has never been God's main purpose. God's purpose has always been about transformation. Transformation is and always has been God's redemptive purpose in the world. God is transforming His creation through His transformed creation. As He transforms you He is placing you in the world in a way that you have the power to transform. That He is using you as His creation to bless this world. And what we looked at last week is the water is a place of cleansing, submission, and transformation. It is the place where God meets us and makes us clean, but it's also the place where we submit to Him and to His purpose, and we are transformed through those waters. And this pattern emerges of faith, repentance, baptism, God's Spirit feeling, filling His people, becoming a part of this divine community who live life together on mission for His kingdom. Because above everything else, God's purpose has always been His kingdom that is restoring this world and bringing hope and healing to those who have no hope. And I think one of the the most important aspects as we look at this idea of baptism is this identity that's given in that moment. And, And last week in Peter's story, Peter is talking to a group of marginalized and oppressed people. And he's telling them that your identity as the baptized, as the children and the people of God, is to change the way that you see the world and the way that you change or and change the way that you see your place in this world. So this morning we're going to be in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Um, we have two of Paul's letters to the Corinthians. It's probably um, two of four that Paul wrote. There was probably one before, and there was probably one after. Corinth is this powerful, wealthy port city 
full of its pagan practices and perversions. And Paul is super consumed with not just the individual believers, but this community of saints, he calls them, the holy ones, who he is calling and asking to live their life on purpose for the mission of Jesus. And what you see in these letters is not this systematic theology that's laid out of do this and apply these principles because they're timeless and you do these for all times. This is more of an applied theology. If God is speak, speaking to his people, and if he's loving this world, and you have this understanding of who he is, then what does it look like to live out the calling of Jesus in the midst of this society that you find yourself in? The society that's full of its pagan practices, full of its perversion. What does it look like to be the people of God as foreigners in this land? As people who no longer belong to the place they once did. And Paul has this profound idea that his purpose is to come alongside these new believers and help them as they try to follow Jesus. Almost as if he was going to put his arm around them and say, hey, here's what it looks like to be God's people in a world that does not know God. Several years ago, um, and you might have seen this on TV, um, there was a basketball coach named Mo Cheek, and he found himself in a really peculiar situation at a basketball game he was coaching. Watch this. And now to honor America and salute the men and women serving our country with our national anthem, please welcome, as voted by you, the fans, our winner of the Toyota Get the Feeling of a Star promotion, Natalie Gilbert.
Mo Cheeks has no place singing the national anthem <laughs> at a professional basketball game. But he does so when he sees someone in need of help and encouragement. And he gets up there with the microphone right there. And he sings to help her out. Chuck always says that there are times I'll sing in his direction and it's like. (laughs) Trying to block me out so he can stay on key. But I think that looks a lot like what Paul is trying to do in this church. To simply put his arm around the Corinthians, who he keeps calling saints, these holy people who keep messing things up over and over and over. And and he's saying things like to the saints, to the holy ones, to God's people, can you please not sleep with your brother's wife. I mean, it was this type of perversion that was all around this city. And this church finds themselves in the midst of. And Paul calling them back to their identity. Putting his arm around them and saying, come on, let's, let's keep following Jesus. Let's put all this behind us and keep going in this direction towards Christ. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that has accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. And their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. He's writing this to a people who have the propensity to get it wrong. And to allow the culture to seep into their gatherings and into their beliefs of who Jesus is and the need to call them back to be the people of God. And he does that by pointing backwards to maybe the greatest story of redemption in the history of Israel, the crossing of the Red Sea. And if you remember back to this story, following Joseph, there's a new Pharaoh And Israel finds themselves as slaves in Egypt. Find themselves as slaves. And under the the oppression of their slave masters, God hears their cry. And he says, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And he calls this man named Moses out of the wilderness. 
And he says, you're going to go to Pharaoh. And as he goes to Pharaoh, the work in the hand of the Egyptians becomes heavier on Israel. The work becomes harder. And their lives are more oppressed. And they begin to cry out for God. And God decides that through Aaron and Moses, he's going to rescue and redeem these people. And he begins with these plagues. Culminating in one final plague, the plague of the firstborn, where he says, I'm going to go throughout Egypt and I'm going to strike down the firstborn of every household. But here's how I'm going to know that you are my people. You're going to take the blood of a lamb. You're going to put it on the doorpost of a house. And that night when I strike down the firstborn, if there's blood on the doorpost, I'm going to pass over that house. And God does. And there is this Passover feast that God puts in place to help the people remember this powerful moment when God saved the people through his mighty hand. And then comes the moment when Pharaoh tells the people, go, flee from my presence, and they start out. And God's presence is guiding them. In the day, it's a pillar of cloud. At night, it's a pillar of fire. And God leads them to the edge of the desert and through the desert to the edge of the waters of the Red Sea. And as they get to the waters, the Egyptians have changed their mind and they're now pursuing the people to the Red Sea. And God speaks to Moses and he says, stretch out your hands over the waters and they will part. And Moses raises his hands And the waters part with a wall of water on their left and on their right. And the people begin to walk through on dry ground. As God's provision and guidance takes care of the people. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night the Lord drove back the sea with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and at daybreak the sea went back to its place The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. And the water flowed back and covered the chariots and the horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh and that that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. There's this powerful moment in the history of Israel. As they enter into the water, and only... The only thing facing them is death. The only thing staring them down is certain death. Because this water has hemmed them in. And there's water in front of them and there are an army of chariots and horsemen chasing them from behind. And they find themselves in this place where anything short of God's provision and power will lead to their death. 
and they enter into the water completely trusting that God will save them. Trusting as they take their steps, I'm certain with doubts and fears consuming their mind. But yet they go anyway. They make their way into the sea. And they have, they have found that their propensity to allow their surroundings to dictate their faith has been so powerful that their surroundings get to determine what they're going to do. And they find themselves when they have no other choice and nothing else that they can do except to trust in God's powerful provision. And they begin walking into the sea. And in the water, if God's Spirit does not show up in a profound and supernatural way, death is imminent. They walk into the water, trusting God to save them. The thing is, is it's just water. It's just water. And it's just like any other sea or body of water. Its power isn't any different in this place. What's different in their, this place is their trust in God to see them through it. In a way, it begins to form their identity. It begins to define who they are. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. They were all baptized into Moses. In the sea, there they became Moses' people. As Moses is leading these people, this man set apart and called by God, leading these people into the water. And there their identity is formed. These are Moses' people. And God is working powerfully through Moses to lead these people and to bring these people into this new life as they pass through the water into new life. Their identity is found in Him. It's under the cloud and through the water that they travel under the water and through the cloud, and they find themselves in Moses, baptized into Moses. Paul begins this idea in a very similar way throughout all of his writings. In Romans chapter 6, he says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into death? And in Galatians, he says, so in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself in Christ. And there's this idea throughout Paul's writing that this baptism is so tied to your identity in Christ. Placing yourself in him and under him. And you have in this writing, under the cloud and through the waters. 
And there's this correlation that he wants you to pick up that he writes about constantly through his writings and several other the writers do as well. But this under the cloud is this correlation with the Spirit of God that's going to be over this people. And through the water or through the sea in this account is this idea of walking through the waters of baptism into new life. This idea of spirit and water that give birth to new life. In 1 Corinthians, a little earlier, Paul said this, And that is what some of you were. But you were washed and you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. This idea of water and spirit join together. John says it like this in chapter 3. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of the water and the Spirit. There is something in the water for the people of Israel that happens in a very profound way. Where God's connecting with His people through His Spirit and through the water. And on the other side... There is a new world that moments earlier did not and could not exist. A world set free from the bondage they experienced. Because all from their past, all that held them captive, all that held them in bondage was washed away in the sea. It was washed away in the water. And on the other side, they had this new identity. We are now Moses' people. And Moses is leading these people through the power of God at work within him. This powerful moment, all pointing forward to this picture of baptism. They were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Pointing back centuries to the one that was leading them in the desert even then. Leading them through the desert, providing for them with his power, transforming their life through the water, and on the other side, this new creation. This journey from bondage into freedom. Because it was in the water for the Israelites that God declared, These are my people. And I will provide for them. I will lead them. I will guide them. I will protect them. That was God's declaration to the people in the water. And so many times when we talk about baptism, we talk about what we know as we enter into the water. But Paul's focus constantly is not what we know as we go into the water, but his focus is on what God does to us through the water. Because the water is a powerful place of cleansing, submitting, and transforming the people of God 
as they enter into life in Christ. In 2 Corinthians, just a little bit later, he says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. It is here. And all this is through the power of Christ at work in the world. But one thing we see in Israel is something I think we see in us as well. The further you get away from the water, the greater the tendency to forget its transformative power. The further you get away from the water, the greater the tendency to forget its transformative power. Several years ago, we took a group of students for our summer camp to Florida. Because who doesn't want to go to summer camp on the beach? And there was a day where we took all of the students out to this state park that was on a peninsula. And out on the peninsula, um, out off the, the pen- peninsula and off the coast, there was a, a storm that had formed in the Gulf. And this storm had churned up some pretty big waves. And my whole life I'd heard about this idea of body surfing. But my whole life, my experience of body surfing was in Galveston, Texas. And being a, lo- a little bit larger guy, body surfing usually consisted of this. Holding a board, waiting for a wave that was this tall, and pushing me about three feet forward before I stopped. And I thought, well, this is the dumbest thing ever. I spent 50 bucks on a board that does nothing. But we bought a board, and we went out to the beach that day. And the waves were bigger than I had ever seen. And I had ever experienced. And I remember the very first wave that I caught jumping on and it taking me all the way up on the shore. And thinking, this was amazing. This is entirely different than anything I've ever experienced. And the very next wave I caught lifted me up, flipped me upside down, and slammed me into the sand and bent my back over backwards. And I started thinking, this is not Galveston. This is not quite the same. The water has a little bit more power and a little bit more kick. The further I've gotten away from that, the more I've forgotten how bad that hurt. And the power that the water possessed. I wonder at times how often the same is true for you and I. That the further you get away from the water, the more you forget the transformative power it had in your life. I remember coming up out of the water when I was baptized. In this moment and feeling like, wow, I'm a new creation. 
I, I am made new. But the further I've gotten from the water, the more I've allowed my surroundings, the more I've allowed my mistakes to dictate my identity. And forget that it was in the water that my identity was formed. It was formed in Christ. And I was placed in Him. And my life was put into Him, into His death, into His burial, into His resurrection. And that I would receive through that moment God's Spirit coming into my life and empowering me to live as His people in this new world that I now found myself in. Living as this divine community on mission for Him. I forget so easily. And I, I realize that my story is not much different than Israel's story. If you remember, they get out of the water. They come out on the other side free from the bondage that they experienced. They come out on the other side and immediately they begin singing these songs of praise of God's power and what He has done in their life and for them and through them. And then almost as quickly as the praises come out of their mouth, the grumbling begins. Why did you bring us out here into the desert? Why did you bring us through the water into this new freedom and now we don't have anything to drink or eat? What are you thinking? And real quickly, their grumbling goes from we just don't have anything to drink to I wish we were back in Egypt living as slaves. These people that cried out to God to save them and get them out of the slavery find themselves on the other side in this new freedom wanting to go back to the way things were. Because now on the other side of the water, they had to trust Christ in an entirely new way. They had to trust Him for his, their identity and for everything that he would provide for them. Ultimately, coming to this place where they worship a golden calf. Because they've forgotten what God did for them through the water. Paul writes this as an encouragement to these people. Don't be like Israel. Don't forget your identity. A little bit later in this chapter, he says this, These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings to us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. Don't allow your circumstances, don't allow your failures to allow you to forget the transformative power of the water. See, just as 
the baptism in the sea made them Moses' people. Our baptism makes us Jesus' people. He gives us this new identity. Through this wonderful divine gift, He redeems us and gives us a new identity and sets us free from the bondage But there is no substitution for the transformation that takes place. Because it's not enough just simply to walk through the water. Because in walking through the water, you are submitting and committing your life, making this pledge, this appeal to God. Saying that from this day forward, I'm not going to live in the old world. I'm now going to live in this new world. For many of us, we allow our past to define us. And we allow what we've done and where we've been to become our identity. And we allow the the things that surround us to influence who we are and change us. And God calls you as a new creation to come and follow Him and submit to Him and give everything to Him and He's going to make all things new. And He invites you. Remember, God is transforming this world through His transformed creation. He invites you to be a part of what He's doing. He says, I want you to play the game with me. That it's not enough that we all get to be a part of what God is doing. Yes. Oh, Carlene. See, here's the thing. Dropping the ball. Dropping the ball is not what defines you. But the courage to, to play does. You're going to drop the ball. And you're going to make mistakes. And you're going to make bad throws. And it's okay. Not failing and messing up the words the national anthem is not failing, not attempting and not trying, that's failing. And with this new identity, God says, come on, let's play. Let's play. Last week we asked you to begin praying for God to put one person in your life. One person that you have the power to pray for, love, and share Jesus with. I'm going to ask that you continue to do that. 
And as you do, grab one of those prayer cards and write their name in the bottom of it and begin praying for them every day for God to give you opportunities. Dropping the ball, that doesn't make you a failure. But refusing to try, that does. See, when you walked through those waters, you became in some profound way a part of what God is doing in this world through His people. Keep going. Don't get discouraged. When you fall down, when you mess up, Paul doesn't say, I'm done with you, church in Corinth. He simply calls them back to Christ and he reminds them of their identity in Jesus Christ. And I just want to remind you this morning that as one who has passed through the waters, you have been given this new identity. You are a new creation. And through God's Spirit, He is empowering you to be a transformative part of His kingdom in this world. Father, today we ask that Your Spirit would fill us, that it would give us life, and that it would empower us to play the game. Not, not simply just sitting on the sideline watching. Not just we pass through the waters and we're done. But Father, as we pass through the waters, this new identity that we have in Christ has set us free and has made us whole with you. It has made us Jesus' people. And as Jesus' people, may we be a light in this world through the power of your Spirit, and the power and the work of your hand to bring life out of death. And Father, we trust you completely that you alone have the power to redeem and to save. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.